0: Owen Marbury was part owner of an IT service business. Now he's locking horns with his ex-partner, Devin, and fighting for his reputation and his freedom. But when Michaela Stanford, his former college bestie and crush, walks back into his life, he's reminded of the fire that still burns between them. As their 20-year college reunion approaches, they have a chance to rekindle their friendship and explore love once again. But Owen's battle with Devin is getting in the way of pursuing things with Michaela. With Devin breathing down their necks and threatening their lives, Owen must decide whether to give in or fight for his heart's desire. This is the premise of secret second chances, a friends to lovers second chance romance Available on Amazon on March 5th. Pick up your copy today. This is the Nerdy Romantics Podcast, and I'm your host, Y.M. Nelson. Dirty Romantics. Today, we are talking Superman and Lois. And Superman and Lois um, actually airs on the CW Network. Season 2 has completed. Season 3 will be out in March of 2023. And with me today, we have Perry and Jen as our guest today and um Perry you're new to our audience so why don't you introduce yourself
1: sure absolutely well first off thanks for having me I'm really excited to to be on to talk about this today but yeah my name is uh Perry Constantine I'm an author uh an artist a podcaster my podcast is called Superhero Cinephiles, which, Yvonne, we've had you on before, and we talked about uh, romance and superhero stories, which kind of led to this, because I was talking I was talking up this show in, in your appearance on my show, and then that kind of led to us doing this episode on your show. I'm also an author. I've been writing since about 2007. Mostly, I do urban fantasy these days. I'm the author of the Luther Cross series and the Dark Crossroads uh, universe that that spins out of. And I've also written a bunch of other books in various genres, like mystery, uh, superheroes, appropriately. And I am uh, doing some comic book work as well. And that's about it for me. I'm just, I'm just a nerdy guy, and I'm really looking forward to talking Superman with you guys.
0: Sounds great, Perry. Thank you for coming on, Jen. Since it's a new year, why don't you reintroduce yourself to the audience and maybe some of our new members who are out there? Sure.
2: Um, I am Jen Grabiel. I am an author, coach, and freelance editor. Uh, For the last eight years, I have been working with romance authors and uh, helping them with their books, business, and mindset. I met Yvonne and immediately was super excited to chat with her about all things nerdy, all things romance, all things nerdy romantic. So thank you so much for having me on.
0: I'm excited to be here. And I'm excited to have you here. So. Before we get too far into our discussion of Superman and Lois, seasons one and two, I want to remind everybody out there that, as usual, there will be spoilers of both season one and season two. Um, So if you have not seen Superman and Lois, now's the time to turn this off go and watch it. You will love it. Trust me. And then come back and listen to our discussion. Okay. So first off, usually what we do, Perry, is um, we just kind of give general impressions what we thought about the show, maybe even some about how we found the show. Everybody knows how I found the show now because Perry talked to me about it on his podcast. And I fell into it and loved it. I watched it on HBO Max. So if you are trying to catch up, um, both season one and two are on HBO Max. I think that uh, when season three comes out, if you have the CW streaming app, you can see it on the CW streaming app. I think it's usually a day after it airs or um, um, and they have each episode up for like a week or a few weeks or something like that. Um, But the CW streaming app is free um and you also have of course you can watch it live on the cw not sure what day that's on but um you know that may change anyway so um perry how did you find out about superman and lois this show or or just your first impressions and general thoughts
1: so i'm a big comic book fan and especially a big superman fan and I was really disappointed with the uh, the Zack Snyder movies. So when they announced they were having uh, Superman on Supergirl, I got really excited. And when uh, Tyler Hoechlin first appeared on that show, I thought he nailed it right out of the gate. And right from his first appearance in Supergirl, I'm like, they got to give this guy his own show. They got to give him his own show. Uh, I was a little bit less impressed with Elizabeth Tullock when she first appeared, N- not anything against her just she just didn't really have anything stand out in that in her first appearances on the CW shows and then finally they announced this show and I was so psyched like I pretty much avoid the CW app most of the CW DC shows I usually wait until they come out on Netflix or HBO Max and I just binge them but that first season of Superman and Lois I was so excited that I put up with all the bugs and problems with the CW app just so I could watch it um, uh, the day after release every single week. And <laughs> <clears throat> I love it. I, I completely fell in love with it. And sur- some things that really surprised me, like I was not expecting to get as attached to, uh, their sons, Jordan and Jonathan, as I did. Um, right. and, and Bitsy Tullock, man, she just knocked it out of the park. Like she is now my favorite interpretation of Lois Lane. Like she just, she's just amazing in that. She Um, is. Yeah, and Hoakland continues to impress me, uh, and we can probably dive into it deeper when we're talking about their different characters, but I love how um, he's he's like the ultimate dorky dad when he's uh, when he's in his Clark Kent persona, and I, I just love that about him. Um, and yeah, just like all these characters from the Superman mythos that they've been bringing in and finding ways to work them in, I'm a big Steel fan, John Henry Iron, so I was so excited when it turned out he was that big reveal came and we found out he was actually steel. I was so pumped for that. Um, so yeah, I love it. I mean, I had some quibbles with season two, as far as, you know, hitting some of the same story beats over the course of the season, but overall I think it's just a great show and I am so excited for season three.
0: Right. I agree with you on, on definitely on the lowest lane aspect. I was like, Oh, wow she she's the best iteration of Lois Lane so far for me I really like it um and I thought I was gonna be upset with the whole oh my gosh they have kids and the kids are teenagers kind of (laughs) thing but I wasn't so yeah we would definitely deep dive into characters but Jen how about you how did you well I think part of it was me saying hey do you want to talk about superman and lois (laughs) but (laughs) but tell me kind of what were your first impressions and your thoughts and and if i was really the first person to say something about this show to you
2: um you are the reason i went back to it so i had started watching it on cw when it was a cw show and we still had um we still had like cable channels and um but then we got rid of the cable channels and just, and a lot of other stuff was going on. So I just never went back to it. And, uh, and now we, cause now we just use the streaming services and I'm with Perry, not super impressed with the CW streaming app. So uh, didn't really, and there's so many other things to watch. So it, it sort of fell off the list. So when you said something about it, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that show. I'm going to go back and, and see it. And because before I'd watched maybe three, four episodes and so I got back into it. We uh we had we had subscribed to HBO Max in order to watch the uh, Zack Snyder Justice League stuff.
0: <laughs> oh my god! So are we about to have a Justice League talk here? In a yeah. second.
1: <laughs> I don't. You do not want me going off for another <laughs> few hours.
2: Yeah, we got. We need hours for that one. We got uh, yeah. hours for that one, Avon. But I'm in yeah. if you ever want to talk about it. But okay. As far as the show, we stay on topic. Stay on topic. Stay on topic. Okay. Got it. <laughs> um but yeah so I came back to it and and started and just started watching it and, and and making my way through it because I am also I'm a big fan of Superman but uh I was actually I was a much bigger fan of Lois Lane I'll be honest with you because um I loved seeing strong women on the screen and. Uh, she was one of those folks that was kind of a, just a take no prisoners, take no bull kind of a person. She was super brave and um, and and always searching for the truth. And that was something that I just found really, really admirable and uh, a wonderful role model to have in a lot of ways. So with this iteration, I was worried because not only did they take, not only did they give them kids, but they moved them to Smallville. And I'm like, you're going to take my my, you know, Person of Lois Lane, this you know strong hard charging you know person and you're gonna make her a housewife. I'm not sure how into this I really am and oh boy. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that they that they kept her spine intact, if you will because um, I was I was a little concerned that they were uh, gonna go a different way with it. Um, I did see right. uh, I was a big fan of Supergirl. Uh, that's a show that I've watched all of. And that's another it's not airing anymore, so I don't know if you want to talk about it, but <laughs> we I've got all kinds of episode ideas for you Avon. i
0: am it might be a premium episode, actually. I have thoughts, but yes,
2: yeah, so uh so going in, so watching them do the crossover episodes, uh I was a big I watched all the d c shows uh when they were on c w so i love the crossover episodes i love seeing characters interact and and go somewhere different so uh i was also super impressed with um the guy what's his name tyler Uh, tyler uh, hoakland yeah oakland hoakland that is playing superman i thought yep yep this guy looks right this guy looks like um he could take it on and uh they've done some great stuff with it so i'm pretty happy i've been really happy watching the show so
0: yeah, I I'm, I'm going to have to to reiterate that. Yeah, I I like Tyler as Superman as well. And um and no, I'm not going to digress into the whole Seth Snyder thing, but <laughs> but even though I love Henry Cavill, I'm 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 going to probably be in the minority for saying this. Please don't hate me, but I think Tyler is a better Superman.
1: <laughs> I am right there with you. Okay. I mean, like <laughs> I I I feel so bad for for Cavill though. I think that I that guy too. got so robbed. Like yes, he, he
0: totally did.
1: I totally agree I, with you on that. Like I'm a again, I'm a huge Superman fan from the comics, and I thought in the theatrical cut of justice league for all its problems. The one thing I thought it did better was Henry Cavill actually got a chance to be a little bit charming as Superman. I'm like, yes, that's, that's how he's supposed to be. So seeing those brief flashes and then having it taken away was, was just so disappointing because you hear him in interviews and it's so obvious that he wanted to play like this more hopeful version of Superman. And so, so, so seeing Tyler do it, like he's again, he's just knocking it out of the park. He is, he is so Right. nailing it. Um yeah. And honestly, I would go so far to say this is probably one of my favorite interpretations of Superman. I mean, Christopher Reeve is amazing, but he's more like the the public image of Superman, right? He's like the, yeah. you know, the, you know, the the upstanding moral guy, but in terms of Superman as a character, I think Tyler Hoechlin does such a good job with the you know he gets the superman aspect but also as clark kent right he's an actual character uh christopher reeves clark kent you know it was a different time it was a different interpretation they were basing it off of but he was you know kind of a cartoon character and i think you know seeing tyler hoakland playing clark as a dad is just is it's so perfect for superman and this is something that they've done in the comics uh, beginning about uh, just a, within the past like ten years or so, when they introduced his his son in the comic books too. And yeah, I was gonna, just, I was
0: going to ask that. So does he have uh, does he have twins in the comic, or is it just one son? Or h- how is that working?
1: It's just one son in the comics. Uh, these comics came out before uh, Superman and Lois, so a few years back they introduced the son Jonathan. Um, they introduced him as a little kid and then, you know, he went up into space and went on some time travel adventures. And now he's, uh, like a university age, um, student. So, um, you know, comic books, (laughs) right. (laughs) Um, and he's his, and he's his own Superman too. He's got his own title and everything. And I just read one of the first books that he's in and it's, it's really good. Um, there's also this big, um, you know internet controversy i'll say ridiculous because it was ridiculous but they (laughs) revealed that he's bisexual and so you're getting a lot more representation with him in the comics as well and he's just he's a great character in the comic books you know very different from jonathan on the tv show but it's a very cool story
0: oh neat okay and i like the the representation part i I like the fact that that's happening Mm Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, so let's get into since we're already talking, you know, Tyler as Superman and and just the whole Superman and Lois and the whole love story and how that comes together and and then how Lana fits into the picture and of course Perry. I want to ask questions about the comics because I, I guess I probably should started uh, start off by saying first episode of the first season. Um, you get the whole story of Superman and Lois and their love story all the way up until they have the teenage kids, right? Or until they have the kids and then they become teenagers. So you're you're caught up in the whole first episode. So actually this part is not really spoiler, but also in the first episode, as uh, Jen said, we're going back to Smallville And I don't remember if this is in the first or the second episode, but it's also very early on that we meet Lana from Smallville. And um, I don't know if anybody remembers that show Smallville, (laughs) although this is not the same actress that played Lana then, but it was kind of like an Easter egg to me. Or like a a kind of a throwback, and I was wondering. I was like, Are they going to redo? Because isn't Smallville a WB kind of CW kind of? I don't know. Yeah,
1: it's it started off on the WB, and then it it was one of the shows that made the jump to the transition. I think Supernatural was another one that made that transition when they made it to the when they combined with UPN and became the CW. Um, But yeah, that show was on the air for for ten years there have been some references here and there to show that and they do this a lot with the cw shows where they'll they'll pick different aspects of things in the past to kind of reference supergirl had an episode like that where they referenced the fact that superman and lex Luthor used to be friends they also made mention uh of chloe who was a smallville character at one point but all these but all these kind of shows they kind of have like similar origin stories like similar right they're all in the same universe or
0: well yeah it's sort of
1: kind of kind of yeah (laughs)
0: not comic book (laughs) universe I mean literary universe or or artistic universe yeah (laughs) not comic
1: book universe (laughs) that's right right they're 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 basically they're in the multiverse it's called where it's they're different versions and so like there's lots of similarities across these different versions um so like even though Tyler Hoechlin and uh, Bitsy Tulloch appeared in the other CWDC shows, we find out in season two of Superman and Lois that this is actually a different universe from those other right. shows. Right. So they, because they, Sam makes mention of the fact that there are other superheroes in other universes that Superman has encountered, but he is the only superhero on our earth. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So, it's a lot of crossover even without the word crossover and even without the actual crossover which is actually that's the first time I actually saw the uh saw Superman and Lois these actors playing these characters was in um uh the um Crisis of Infinite Mm Earths that crossover and I was actually watching it I was really trying to catch up with The Flash. I, I'm, I'm with both of you on the fact that having these on Netflix is so much better than the CW app, unless you just like, I have to watch it now. <laughs> but you don't, if you can, if you're the, I can wait, you know, and binge it later, Netflix is the place to binge this, you know, except for Superman and Lois, which is on HBO Max.
1: That's yeah, how I that Batwoman too is also on HBO Max.
0: Yes, yes, because uh, yeah, it was just it was so interesting how that ended up on H. They these two uh, shows ended up on HBO Max, but the rest of the shows are on Netflix. So I, I guess that's yeah. a money production thing. I don't know. No, I think
1: it has to do with the the deals that Netflix uh, had with um with Warner Brothers. So before Netflix had like you know. Uh, day after airing um, deal with uh, with Warner Brothers, where the CW shows would end up on Netflix like the day after the season finale airs or something like that, or like a week after, very very soon after, and then the, they'd put the whole seasons on on Netflix. But when um, HBO Max came into the picture, then they started going back and re and redoing some of their deals. So like The Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, Black Lightning. All those still had those were still part of that Netflix deal, but uh, Superman and Lois and Batwoman were not part of that original deal. So now those became straight to HBO Max as a result.
0: Ah, that's how that worked out. Kind of like on the Marvel side, how they had that in in the beginning with the with the Netflix shows that were on Marvel and then how they moved those all around. It's all a deal. Um, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's all about a deal. But uh, but getting back to the show and getting back to kind of the, to the central characters, Superman slash Clark Kent and Lois. Um, you know, when I saw that they were going to be back in Smallville and then they had Lana come, you know, she's in the picture, but she has a whole family. Um, so don't worry about that. Um, but. I, you know, at one point I was like, oh gosh, please don't pit these women against each other because mm-hmm. Jen, I'm with you with having Lois be, be a strong woman. And I didn't want her to be a strong woman and against another woman. Exactly. Exactly. You know? I did not want to
2: see this set up as some sort of weird like triangle because one, um, I don't, I don't particularly like uh, love triangles in any way, but yeah. more importantly, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel authentic to Superman and Clark Clint, Clark, Clark Kent right. that he would be like caught between and like and like even wondering what it is would that he where his feelings lie. So I didn't feel like that would be a a good way for them to go. So I was really happy to see them showing up as friends and showing up as as look you can be friends with
0: people and and uh, keep it real. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Jen, I'm gonna start with you though. What did did you think about the whole Superman is now married to Lois and they have kids? The whole relationship dynamic and family dynamic. Is that a shock to you? Is that a, you know, Uh, how did you feel about it? Yeah,
2: you know, this is one of those things. It makes me nervous you know, when we see favorite characters being put into, into new situations, uh, because one of the one of the things that a lot of shows struggle with is, is taking that dynamic and introducing it in a new way and coming up with realistic ways of conflict that are not always have to be like marital trouble. That always seems to be where mm-hmm. they go um, yeah. with a lot of these characters is marital yeah. trouble. And given the history of, of Lois and Clark and... The entity of superman that that is a part of their relationship and has been from the beginning that uh that's one of those things you know when you see clark having to like uh run off literally to go save a town or save (laughs)
0: yeah
2: you know i hear something and he and he sort of like makes a look and what i appreciated is that they took some of those healthy relationship dynamics and Um, And applied them to this whole, uh, oh, I'm going to have to go. And it's like, okay, we'll have a, you know, be careful out there. And (laughs) I'll see you later, honey. And make it just a completely normal part of their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, I understand that. I do. I, I appreciate the fact that they had kept all of this from their sons. But I also thought that it was really great that the sons were mad about it when they did finally say, okay, have a seat. Here's the secret we've been keeping from you all this time. Um, and I thought that was, you know, the kids are four, are are fifteen, and uh, one of the things I appreciate about fifteen-year-olds is that they can be angry about absolutely anything, and have no perspective,
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. on the world,
2: and it's very consistent for fifteen-year-olds.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> um. So I so I appreciate that about them, for them to to just kind of treat that with anger and not with you know oh this is cool or whatever. So all those times that he has. And I I also like the idea that they, that they were a little angry about the many times that dad would just like leave them and not be there when he said he was going to be there and always had an excuse or what have you. And and that ability to just kind of be angry at a parent for doing that, even though he's, you know, later you find out he's off save in the world and you're like, man, I don't think I'm supposed to be mad about that, but, but dang it, it was, you know, it was something I wanted him to be there and, and he missed out or what have you. So Mm -hmm. I I do appreciate that they're really trying to incorporate a lot of, uh, of very realistic family dynamics into a a family relationship. That's very odd.
0: Right. (laughs) Not all of us have,
2: have superhero
0: parents. So, (laughs) right. Right. No, no. Even though sometimes they seem like they are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or they have Um, their moments.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. How much that is interrupting um, everybody's Life is is that's big news, and that is, and I think the kids uh, are justified in their anger, but I think that they kind of come around and accept it. And the way that that plays out over the course of the season, of of oh, you're out doing all these big things, and now I can worry about you in a different way. And I um, that's another thing about teenagers that I feel like is really realistic because they start they start kind of feeling like oh, as an adult, here I am, an adult at fifteen. Um, as an adult, I should help or I should step in or I should fix it. And, um, and so again, I felt like that was a, that was a good way for them to go and how they, how they change up that, that relationship. And, um, you know, we haven't seen kids, we haven't seen Superman as a dad in uh, a lot of the previous media iterations uh, in terms of the movies and stuff. He has been in the comic books, obviously, but, but not in a lot of the movies, and I feel like they went the right direction with it. I love a dorky dad. Man, I love a dorky dad who is so earnest and trying to say the right thing and then the kids roll their eyes anyway. Man, I love it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> that's my future right there. So <laughs> uh-huh.
2: <laughs> my kids right, are all, my
1: oldest is two, but I'm looking at everything that's happening now and I'm like, I'm like, oh man, I love this. I'm like, wait a minute. That yeah. that's that's my future I'm looking at
2: it right there. It is. Uh, My kids are in their twenties. I'm, I'm proud to say I have survived. I've survived two teenagers in my house, teenage girls. And yeah, the, the power of an eye roll from across the
0: room. Oh man. (laughs) It's no joke. You know, we, I'm with you on the whole realism, Jan of it, the real family dynamics, with superpowers added like Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. you know if one parent had superpowers actual superpowers this is probably what a real family would look like kind of thing i love that that is going on and perry and i kind of talked about that a little bit as far as their real the real dynamic on our episode which i will link in the show notes Podcast.com. they will be in the show notes I will link that episode because we won't rehash it here the one thing that Jen that you mentioned is uh, you know the teenagers you know as they you know realize okay they're adults and now the the wool has been pulled over their eyes so now they have to help kind of thing Mm -hmm. and that is expounded when we realize that Jordan has powers and instead of instead of you know wanting to you know kind of go at exploring his powers at a at a slower pace and you know trying to understand that whole dynamic he's like i just want to figure this all out and and dad just you know let me do this and i still want to go to school and i still want to do all this stuff and stop hiding me away and I mean, he just wanted to go at everything full force. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I thought that was very teenager too. <laughs> it's like, you know, this is not how things are supposed to go. You know, also we see, you know, in in, you know, this first season, because we are seeing that dynamic of now Jordan has powers. We're seeing a lot of the Fortress of Solitude, which Easter egg, you know, and, and, and coach, you know, comic book, Easter egg, movie, Easter egg. We're seeing that for the first time. And, you know, I was like, Oh my gosh, cool. So I had a geek out moment for that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But um, you know, Along with the whole geek out moments that we have, I kind of I don't want to necessarily stray from this as we are talking realism and family dynamics. They're also because they've moved back to Smallville, which is in Kansas. Um, there's also a a societal and a cultural, you know, there's societal and cultural things going on in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the big things, and Jen, this is kind of, um, it made me think about you, um, when they mentioned it was, um, as we talked about, um, there's Lana and Lana has a whole family, right? You know, she's right. got a husband, she's got two girls. One of the girls is a teenager and, you know, same mindset, you know, I I want to be, you know, my own person. I want to be an adult. And um, in that, with that, and with all the other stuff going on, um, there's a moment where, and I think this is more realized in season two um, than season one, but in season two, and this made me, this is what made me think of you, Jan, is um, she says, you know, we have this Mexican heritage, mm-hmm. and we've been hiding this Mexican heritage um, because their last name is um, Cushing, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah. their actual familial last name is it Cortez or is it
1: something I, else? I think it was Cortez. I'm not 100% certain, but that sound right. that's ringing a bell. So I think it, that's what it was.
0: Right. And and um, so then they had kind of a, a half episode. They sp- explained in an episode that I, I, it might have been the Kitsunera episode where they talk about the rich um, Mexican uh, culture in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason why this made me think of you, Jan, is because we had just done um, a podcast episode. And you talked about After Hours on Milagro Street by Angelina Lopez. Absolutely. And that, um, you know, even though it's a contemporary romance, she does a lot of, because the hero is, you know, a history professor, we can go into a lot of depth. And two, um, she, you know, and because she's Mexican, the heroine, we go into a lot of uh, detail of Mexican American Mexican immigrants in the Midwest and the generations of Mexican heritage mm-hmm. and how that is wiped out of a yeah. lot of media. We don't,
2: yeah. Whenever you see Kansas, you think of of people that are very pale, and that's that's not the reality in that in, in that book, and actually the um the author's heritage is that she um she is from the Midwest and her family's been there, you know, 150 years. So you know there's there's a lot more depth in our um i think in our society than than sometimes we give credit for and i really appreciate when the media um you know sometimes they get they get accused of of you know being woke or something like that which is just the stupidest thing in the world because what they're actually doing is being more accurate and more realistic right.
1: exactly. and
2: um and showing life the way it it actually is or was So, um, so I really appreciated that they were, that they were bringing that in and that there was, you know, a little bit of conflict there amongst the family members and, and what they wanted their, uh, how they wanted to celebrate their culture and their history that they had, had kind of pushed to the side a bit for, uh, for a long time. So uh, I, in season two, I thought that was, uh, I thought that was really nicely done.
0: Yeah. I, I totally agree. Um, you know, between between both seasons, we see that whole teenager uh, <laughs> kind of angst and that whole level going on. Yeah. And you know what? That actually, to me, I don't know if it does for, for either of you, But to me, it brings kind of another level to the show where the show can grow even more than just showing this round character of Superman slash Clark Kent and all, you know, because there is the tendency to want to kind of focus on the title characters, right? but the right. title characters are at this point where stuff has been realized that like in the movies this is this is part of the plot this is the discovering or in the in the different shows that we've seen you know these characters on that's kind of part of the plot and part of the evolution of the show or the movie but mm-hmm. here they're kind of at this for for those of us who are not necessarily you know in in comic book land this is kind of i don't want to say this is the end point but this is kind of the pinnacle point like like everything that we knew about superman and lois they went through the went through it in the first episode for us right right so it's like where are we gonna go with these characters now Mm -hmm.
1: but the fact yeah sorry i was just gonna (laughs) say i was just gonna say that uh one of the one of the things that has annoyed a lot of comic book fans with a lot of movies in recent years has been the tendency to overdo the origin story. I mean, like, how many yeah. times do we have to see Uncle Ben get shot? How many times do we have to see Martha Wayne's pearls falling in slow motion? How many times do we have to see Krypton exploding? You know, yeah. I mean, my grandmother has never picked up a comic book in her life, but even she knows Superman's origin story. We don't have to constantly be retreading it. And I think this show has done something really smart in that it's respecting the audience's intelligence. It's like, okay, we know you know the story of how Superman got to Earth. We know you know the story of how Clark Kent became super. We did 10 years of it on Smallville, so we know how that all worked. And we know that you know about Lois and Clark and all that. So we're going to fast forward 15 years and drop you in the middle of that. And I think that was a very smart way to do things. Yeah, I, I agree.
0: agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Jen, Jen, tell me what you think about it.
2: Oh no, I, I, I'm just absolutely agreeing with Perry because that, you know, we've had so many iterations of, of Lois and Clark. Uh, well, there was a show called Lois and Clark, um, but, that, uh, but so many iterations of them, sort of, you know, bad guy of the week type of shows where, you know, somebody was going to come and, and, um, and do bad things in Metropolis. So by taking those extremely familiar characters of all the of all the superheroes um, that they could pick from, Superman is probably the one that that is most familiar. Superman, maybe Spider Man, but Superman has uh, has such a long history of being uh, depicted in in cartoon form, in movie yeah. form, in television exactly. form, and all these other things. So there's so many different different ways that we've already seen these characters together. So when you're trying to bring something new, because that was another thing I was concerned. I was like, well, is this going to be like, you know, okay, well they've given them kids. Are they, are they just, you know, plot moppets? Is that what they are? They're just sort of there for a funny line now and again, but they've really taken that and made them into really interesting characters on their own and made them, you know, multidimensional on their own in relationship to, um, and in relationship to who their dad is, like I said before, I love a dorky dad, absolutely love a dorky dad. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that they would um, that they would be able to utilize the kids in that way and, you know, sort of show these other layers of of Clark and of Lois, um, I think is bringing this great dimension. I feel like, Perry, you were trying to say something. I'm interrupted.
1: Sorry, no, no, it's not your fault. My um, my daughter was screaming, so, <laughs> uh, so I had to, I had to jump out for a second. So thanks for for picking it up. One of the things I I think too, and I might be, backtracking a little bit here. So apologies uh, to the listeners if I am. Um, I got two kids who are just waking up now. It's uh, early morning here in Japan. So, one of the things that I really appreciate about the the characters that they're they're doing here is that like you were saying, they're they're showing all these different layers of it. I mean, we can kind of picture Superman as a dad, right? Because he's like the ultimate dad superhero to begin with, right? He's always kind of like the patriarchal figure of, of the DC universe, of comic books in general, right? Of superheroes yeah. in general, because he's, right. he's like the first. Um, yeah. But Lois Lane as a mom is something that we haven't really seen before and she's not the typical image you think of when you think of like a TV mom or anything like that. And I think that Showing this other side of her and what happens when you take this, you know, take no crap reporter who who, um, who is always like putting herself into risky situations and who is willing to sacrifice everything for a story. What happens when you put her in the role of being a mob to two teenage sons? And I think that's been really interesting to, to watch her her deal with that. And another thing this show has done is it's and again, this is backtracking, but you guys were talking about Lana before and how you were glad that they didn't go the stereotypical route of having it, having a love triangle. And I agree. And there are so many times in this show when it seems like they're going to go that stereotypical route when it seems like they're going to, Oh, you know, he's back in Smallville. Lana's here. She's having troubles with her, with her husband. Maybe there's going to be some love triangle thing. And then they swerve. And then instead, Oh no, Lana and Lois become best friends. (laughs) And, um, or like even with, with Jordan and Jonathan, right? Oh, they're two teenage boys. There's one girl. She's, you know, she's friends with both of them. And it looks like right. her and Jonathan are getting close. Oh, right. no, they're not get they're not getting involved. We're not going down that route. Every time they start to set up that those stereotypical things that you'd expect from a drama series like this, they curve and they don't go that route. And Yvonne I think one of the things I sold you on this show was was one of my favorite scenes in in uh, the first season when and this is really kind of indicative of how mature the the relationship dynamics are in, in this series is when lois asks clark to go to cover the town hall meeting because she's got to go take she's got to go on investigate something else so right. she asks him to go and take notes and everything and be her representative there and he says yeah i'll do it i'll do it absolutely and then what happens is something happens something comes up because he's superman something always comes up and he has to go take care of it And the typical thing you'd see in that situation is when they interact again, Lois would be pissed off at him and almost irrationally so. But what they do here is they handle it very smartly because Lois says, look, I know you're Superman. I know you were saving lives. I understand that. Logically, I understand all that. But emotionally, I'm still upset. So I just need a minute. And I thought that was such a brilliant way to handle that situation. Exactly. Yes.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And and. You did sell me on it right then and there because of that kind of realism and because of the layers. It's it, They're just innate layers that happen when they do these kinds of things, mm-hmm. right? And you show like a little bit more of these characters. And of course, as a watcher, we're hooked in, you know? But also we are hooked in <laughs> because- we are nerds <laughs> and we like Easter eggs. So let's talk Easter eggs, y'all. <laughs> For me, I think I think one of the biggest ones we might have already, uh, which we already said was the fact that we saw the Fortress of Solitude. Also the fact as the seasons go on, we meet these characters that we recognize from either comic book or from other shows or other movies. Perry, you mentioned Steel. When Tal Roe first came on the scene, well, Tal Rowe was Morgan Edge and I you know, I didn't really know. I was like, he's going to be a bad guy, but he looks like, <laughs> you know, but when Tal Roe came on the scene, I was like, you know, a little bit, I was like a little bit giddy about that. But I was mostly giddy about the whole Bizarro thing. But Perry, you're saying Bizarro is not exactly like that in the comics? I so, was- yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but you're saying it's not.
1: Yeah. So in, in the comic books, there are different versions of Bizarro and uh, the earlier versions of Bizarro were from the Bizarro world. So it's it's like it's like um, it's like our world, but everything is backwards. And instead of it being a round planet, it's a square planet. And just like, you know, just like in that instead of saying hello, they say goodbye. Instead of saying good, they, they say bad. Everything is the reverse. That was the original Bizarro. In the more modern tellings, Bizarro is actually an imperfect clone of Superman. And it's just like, you know, the cloning process didn't work right. And so the, there are these different versions. But in all versions, pretty much consistently, Bizarro is not really intelligent. He d- he can't really speak yeah, properly. He doesn't idiot. really understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To be, <laughs> to be a little bit more blunt. Yeah, exactly. But in this one, you know they they did an interesting thing where they showed Bizarro was actually the Bizarro Superman is actually being kind of intelligent on his own. And I thought that was uh, an interesting take, but even still the way they introduced him. And this is something this show does a lot is they have, a little bit of a bait and switch with some of the villains. So Morgan Edge is his own villain in the comic books. He is not, he's not a, he's not a Kryptonian. In fact, for people who watch Supergirl, you may remember that in, I think it was either season one or season two, they had Morgan Edge in there, although it was a different actor, different character. Another example was when John Henry was introduced, right? They were calling him Captain Luther. So we were all thinking he's Lex Luthor from a different universe, right? right. That was
0: immediately, yeah. That was immediately what I thought. And I said, please don't do this. Of course, as a person of color, he was the first person of color that we Mm -hmm. knew was a person of color on this show because we didn't realize that Lana's husband and everything, um, they had Mexican heritage, but- but, yes, having him as that, and then his motive at the time was to kill Superman. When I first saw that, I was I was mad. I, I was actually I was mad. And, and so <laughs> I was like, I, I hope this doesn't go that way. But then, when we see the evolution of the character and Steel, which I must confess, I don't really know, I don't really have background on. And for for those of us, for those of you in the audience who may not have a little, may not have as much background, Perry, tell tell us a little bit about that character. As well. Sure,
1: sure. Um, so so first off, if you're looking for information on Steel, and you might stumble across on on HBO or somewhere else a movie that came out in 1997 starring Shaquille O'Neal. Yes. Um, this is based on the comic book character Steel. This is based on the same guy. And your temptation would be to watch that movie. You should ignore that temptation. This movie okay. is absolutely awful. In fact, one of my favorite episodes of, of my show we did was when we covered Steel and it was it was a terrible movie but we had a lot of fun just ripping it apart. Uh, <laughs> and that's pretty much the only benefit that the movie has. Now Steel in the comic books is a really awesome character he's one of the greatest characters that's been created at dc and like the uh and he came out about 30 30 years ago or so when um dc did this big storyline called the death of superman and so they had they introduced this character doomsday which is also kind of how the way Bizarro first appears in that suit and everything and punching through the, the mountains. That's mm-hmm. very similar to how Doomsday appeared in the comic book. So they'd done a bait and switch where everybody thought, Oh, we're getting Doomsday in this. And then it turns out to be Bizarro instead. Oh, wow. um, so that was a little bit of a bait and switch. The show did anyway, in the comic books, Superman fights Doomsday. He gets killed. And then shortly after his death, there are four different Supermen who appear. Uh, one of them is uh, is Superboy, who is um, a young clone of Superman. In fact, the Bizarro Jonathan is dre- is wearing basically. The classic Superboy costume from that series, uh, so like with the red pants and the leather jackets—that's what—that's how Superboy dressed in the and co- early in his appearances in the comics. In The
0: comics, okay,
1: yeah. So that was a, that. You're talking Easter eggs. That was a, that was one of those Easter eggs. And then uh, there were also two other characters. One of them was like a cyborg version of Superman who uh, was actually lying about who he was. Another one was the Eradicator. That's another Easter egg that the show tosses in the the Eradicator system and all that. That was its own character in the comics. He was like this Kryptonian artificial intelligence that was designed to defend Kryptonian heritage. Uh, So he appears in that. And then also they had this guy, Steel. His name was John Henry Irons, and he was a former weapons developer for the U.S. military. And then he didn't like what the military was doing with his weapons, so he quit. And then he he was kind of like, you know, dishonorably discharged or or something like that. I can't remember the exact details, but he ended up working uh, construction. And he's working on a high rise and he falls and he gets saved by Superman. So after Superman dies, he takes it upon himself to defend Metropolis. So he builds this suit of armor and he starts calling himself the Man of Steel and goes out and continues on Superman's legacy. And so he's a great example of um, you're talking about characters of color, right? He's a super intelligent guy. He's basically like the DC Universe's version of Iron Man, only he's, not a rich, he's only he's not a rich asshole.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. When that character started to evolve, that's that that's kind of what I was like, okay, I, I feel a lot better now. Because yes, mm-hmm. at first I was mad because I was like, because they were calling him Mr. Luther. And I was like... Oh my gosh, is he going to be like uh, another uh, Alex Luther from a multiverse? And this is from another universe and he's going to be bad. And I, you know, and I was, I, I was getting very angry at, <laughs> at that. <laughs> but I'm glad that didn't happen. And I'm and I'm sorry, I kind of I kind of got you off track because you were talking about, you know, him being introduced as Lex Luthor, but you were you were on a different track and we were talking Easter eggs. You were on a different track. Was there something else you wanted to say in that vein? Or did I just No, I,
1: I had I had kind of incorporated in my answer the, the idea of the whole bait and switch aspect. So they did yeah. it with um, with Luther, and it turns out it's actually Steel. They did it with Morgan Edge to an extent, where he's not really Morgan Edge; he's actually Tal Rowe, He's Kryptonian, um, and they did it in uh, in season two twice. Right? They had it with, or not not really twice, but they had it with. You know, it looks like Doomsday at first, but it's actually Bizarro. And then right. they have Allie Alston is an interesting character too because she does appear in the comics, but what she was oh, is she okay. was a character she was one of the characters who takes on the name of the parasite who like kind of drains energy from from other people. And there's a talking Easter eggs. There's a little reference when Lois calls Allie a parasite. That's referencing who she was in the comics.
0: Okay. Did not know that. That's very interesting. Jen, what about you? What Easter eggs kind of stood out to you? Okay.
2: So I'm not very good at pulling the Easter eggs, I have to
0: say. Or, or um, should I say, what made you giddy when you saw it? That that's when I say Easter is the Easter egg because it made me giddy when I saw it, and I'm like, <laughs> I know what this is about.
2: <laughs> like okay. the whole
0: Bizarro character, I was like, I know what this is about.
2: <laughs> okay, that I was excited about because, like I said, I you know I, I don't read the comics, and so but I know who Bizarro is, and so when when they. Finally, like slowed down enough to see because he and first you get like just a little chunk of his face, and then uh later on we see him as in in the suit. So that made me very happy. And I also really appreciated, um, oh shoot, I just lost my thought. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not fantastic at this at the Easter eggs, I have to say, but I do really love. That what Perry was talking about with the bait and switch, where you think they're going to go one direction with a storyline, and then they, they send you in another direction. The number of the number of times they do that in, in each season, even in, in some of the episodes is so fantastic. And it's honestly, it's one of the things that like really has kept me, kept me watching the show they, you know, we talked before about, about having this depth of character, you know, each person that is highlighted really has their whole own, you know, internal story that they're dealing with and their, their, their wants and needs and all that kind of great stuff. Um, But the way that they're able to sort of weave all that stuff together has really been done extremely well. There's a lot of story that happens in each episode. And, uh, and so I, that's, that's what gets me giddy (laughs) at the end of the day I love seeing how the episodes and storylines sort of are distinct and separate and the way that they come together that's where I nerd out
0: yeah I will have to agree with you there it's the depth of story is amazing here and the fact that is that you know even though it's sort of episodic it sort of isn't as well so it's like I think if, I I probably wouldn't watch, still wouldn't watch this in real time. I I think I would still wait until the whole season came out and then watch the whole season. But there is like, it's not as episodic as something like The Flash is. Right? Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The Flash is still a show that has a bad guy of the week and this is right. this has like the overarching story um that continues on um through each episode.
1: Right. Right. In fact, but- I think this show has done something really really smart with the way it constructs its seasons because there are pros and cons to the, the two main approaches, right? You either have like the episodic one with some big bad in the background or you have, you know, kind of like the the binge binge watching model, which a lot of like Netflix does and stuff like that, where it's, it's basically one long story divided up into, you know, six or 10 or 12 episodes or whatever have you. But I think what this has managed to do is it, it finds this nice middle ground between those two where it's not quite completely episodic, but it's also not the binge model where you kind of have that soggy middle where it's just like, okay, you guys are just (laughs) killing time now.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's like, It's in that in that happy medium of I could be satisfied if I stop watching at episode three because there's so much there's so many layers and there's so much story in each episode that if I only watch a couple of episodes and, and this is exactly what happened. I mean. Well, I, I would say even with unless it's something like Stranger Things or something, I you know, where I'm like, OK, I'm going to take a weekend and I'm just going to watch this whole thing. I love those shows that even though they're bingeable, I can watch like a couple of episodes, maybe after work to calm down or, you know, get into that whole evening mood or whatever. And mm-hmm. I can be satisfied with that. And that is what this show does. It has so yeah. much satisfying story in each episode that I'm good with a couple of episodes until I need a couple more.
1: <laughs> That's exactly how I watched a uh, season two, actually like season one, I watched it day after on the CW app and By the time I got to the end of it, I was so tired of all the the bugginess with the app, all the repeating ads. And so so when season when season two came out, I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to wait until it all comes out on HBO Max. And I did exactly what you said. Like, I I watched like, you know, I'd watch like three episodes one day. I'd watch like five episodes another day then I'd watch like maybe two episodes or one. And I spread it out over the course of about a week or so it was a really nice way to consume it. It never felt like I was, you know, I never felt like, oh, I have to watch the next one right now. But I'm just like, I'm I'm satisfied with what I just watched. I can wait to the next day to watch like the next batch of episodes.
0: Right, exactly. Which, uh, you know, I hate to say it because there's so much story and there's so many other things that I want to talk about. Kind of feel like we want to talk about in general, like what our rating is for this show do either of you have something that we didn't cover that you wanted to really talk about um
1: there there's some things i i think and you guys may have touched on some of this stuff like i really liked the portrayal of of lana lang in general like i think you know we were talking about how this is probably the one of the best versions of lois we've ever seen i think this is definitely the best version of lana we've ever seen She's such a well rounded character in her own right. And I love this idea of her having so much power and so much influence in this town because, in you had Smallville, the TV show where she was a big part of it, but you know, she was basically the early 2000s teenage love interest, right? And she didn't have a whole lot of character defining moments in that show Mm -hmm. she was basically there to 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 you know to be cute for the audience and to be and to like you know kind of woo the main character and then to to get convenient to get kidnapped and then conveniently you know get knocked unconscious whenever clark was going to use his superpowers and and that happened like every single episode (laughs) early on But here, she, they've done, and even in the comic books, like, she's been written as, in the old comics, like, she was Lois Lane's rival for Superman's affection, right? So they're always just kind of, like, this whole, like, catty back and forth thing between them. She hasn't really appeared in a lot of media outside of Smallville, as and even in the later comics, in the more recent ones. Like when they brought her back in the nineteen eighties, she was kind of like stalking Clark Kent, and it was just like. And recently, I, I actually just started reading um, the Superwoman comic books last night, where her and Lois both get Superman powers, and then they're kind of like being a team together. And uh, and spoiler alert for a comic book that's like almost that's like five years old now, but Lois dies very early on in this. It's like a different version of Lois Lane, but, but she dies and now it's just Lana. And, and, and she's got this whole relationship with, with steel actually, which again, ties into another Easter egg. Cause they kind of hinted that in season two, that something might be going on between Lana and John Henry. So I just really love what they've done with Lana in this show. I think that, you know, seeing her deal with, with Kyle. And I love the fact that there is no question about how, about like her pining for Clark or anything like that. It's Clark is her best friend. And as someone whose best friend mm-hmm. is a woman, I think it's great to see a healthy platonic friendship between a man and a woman on, on TV like that.
0: Yes. Right. Thank you. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's no competition in in, in that whole kind of thing does get really angry in season, just like the teenager. She was really, really ticked when she found out, you know, about Clark and Superman, you know, uh, she was ticked just like the teenagers. But yeah, you know what? I I, I did kind of notice that hint of a maybe thing kind of whatever. And I was like, Hmm, I wonder what that was about. So, oh, okay, interesting to know. the The one thing, yes, that I wanted to say that kind of resonated uh, resonated with what you were saying, Perry, is and what you were saying, Jen, kind of together. The reason why that whole love triangle thing doesn't work, I think, or or why they shouldn't go that route and why they don't go that route is because they've made both. Lana and Lois whole round characters with Absolutely. with mm-hmm. their own agency right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um <laughs> and the things that we were all afraid of these would be hangers on of superman whether it's Lois or whether it's Lana would be kind of like a save me kind of damsel in distress kind of thing None Mm -hmm. of that is playing in here. And I'm very happy for that. Mm -hmm.
1: I I just want to say, too, also on that similar route, you just maybe think of Martha's role in this as because oftentimes in a lot of a lot of the other media, Martha Kent doesn't get a whole lot of stuff to do. She's, you know, she's there to like, you know. Nice, nice to clark when he comes by and everything um but usually jonathan his father was the one to like give the counsel he was like you know the town patriarch the one everyone trusted and i really like what they and even though martha doesn't stick a- around for long she dies very early on right. but i still like that idea of her continuing legacy like you know lana saying like martha was like the the champion of the town basically she was our town superman yes she said.
0: right and i mm-hmm. thought that
1: was that was such a cool thing that was such a good way to to utilize martha because the the whole thing about Superman is my my late co-host on my show, he used to say that the two the two greatest superheroes of the DC universe are Jonathan and Martha Kent, because they took this this baby and they who ends up growing up to become the world's greatest superhero. And the only reason he becomes the world's greatest superhero is because of Jonathan and Martha and the way they raised him. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's, that's very true. Yes. I totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, he's a baby and there's no innate, you know, whatever. Right. You know, it's, it's the way they, they steered him and you see, and you kind of also see that when, you know, he's training, um, Jordan and, and kind Mm -hmm. of. You know, you see that influence in 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 the Clark Kent Lois Lane generation, and how they're and how they're steering their kids, and 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 that's why their kids being whole and complete characters and having that other you know whole level there. That's why it's all it's all great story. It, it's just mm-hmm. all it's all working together so well and to me i think it's a very i don't want to say non-toxic but it's it, it that's the only thing i could think. a very healthy and real family dynamic a very healthy and real representation mm-hmm. of of people
1: yeah and without being boring because that's kind right. of the the lie that a lot of that a lot of people believe that if you tell if you have a story i mean you know one of the big things that that people believe killed Lois and Clark, the Superman TV show from the early nineties is the fact that once those two characters got together on the TV show, all the drama just got sucked out of the show. And yeah, there's some truth to that, but yeah, that's not because, and that's not because that, you know, they, they can't, you can't tell stories about a couple that's together. It's just because, the writers just weren't creative enough. They weren't good enough writers yeah. to really think about how to do it. Right, exactly. And and mm-hmm. this show proves that you can have a show about a healthy couple and a healthy, who, or in a healthy relationship who have a healthy family dynamic. And it can still be captivating and interesting and all that stuff. You still have drama in this show. You still have problems that they have to confront. They still butt heads, but it's not like the kind of, low-hanging petty bullshit that you'd see in a lot of lesser shows.
0: Right.
2: Exactly. Right, exactly. exactly. There's a maturity to the storytelling
1: mm-hmm. in this
2: show that we don't often get to see period. Much less in a superhero show. Yeah. But just but just in general it's it's a show that um that doesn't take the easy way out and just when you think they're going to go with the route of lazy storytelling they it's almost like they're aware that they're setting you up and they are going to flip it just when you get there, like the like Lois and Lana becoming good friends. So right. uh, I appreciate that. I love when a show can keep me on my toes. I want that out of out of something. And so you know, the quality storytelling here is is really really well done. And we didn't even get into a lot of the town dynamics that's happening.
0: Right. Exactly. Uh, you know, we
2: we focused a lot on sort of those interpersonal relationships, which is um, which is pretty impressive. So yeah. That they get that right, it's like everything else really falls into place.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, also on that in- interpersonal relationships, they also play with how Lois and Clark interact when they first meet in this show. Um, they do that awesome flashback episode when they go back to when Clark first, Superman first appeared in Metropolis, and mm-hmm. yeah, you know the typical way which we saw in Superman the movie, which we saw in Lois and Clark, is that Lois doesn't think much of of Clark Kent, right? She's kind of like you know. She's kind of dismissive of him. And then, and then Superman, she's like Gaga for, right. And that's, it's, it's kind of an archaic thing in this day and age. And I, and I think the one thing that I did like about that man of steel did the, the Snyder movie is that it showed Lois being able to figure out Superman's identity before he's even Superman, right. She's tracking him down. She finds out who he is and she confronts him about it. I thought that was a really smart way to show showcase her intelligence. What this show does, right. it doesn't do the same thing, but it does something different. Where Lois is very, very suspicious of Superman when he first appears. She's like, "Wait a minute, this is this guy's an alien, and he's coming back. He's saying he's here to help us and everything." And she's she's on her toes right away, like her reporter's instincts which they should be on edge when something like that happens. That makes total sense. But what I love about it is she likes Clark as a person, right? She's very interested in Clark. Like she's doing that interview on TV and she's talking about right. why she's suspicious of Superman. Then after, after they're off camera, she's like, Oh, I've got a date with this new guy, Clark. He's, you know, it's so nice. He's such such a nice guy and all this. He's, he's so different from a lot of the other guys at the, at the, in Metropolis. And I did like that she had a genuine interest in Clark and she didn't really care about Superman.
0: Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I did want to go back to, Jan, what you were saying about the town dynamic. And to me, that actually embodied some of the social issues going on, especially that whole, you know, when Morgan Edge gets there and the whole dynamic of, revitalizing a small town kind of thing mm-hmm. um you know that was you know in season one that whole um that whole storyline there you know speaks to kind of what's you know going on now and kind of you know or or what's what has been going on in America you know yeah. with the with the whole small town and the we're we're bringing the manufacturing in but manufacturing is uh we don't know what they're actually doing you know kind exactly. of thing.
2: I, th- I think there's a I, you know this kind of points again to them being able to take a realistic situation and apply it to this superhero environment right mm-hmm. um a lot of times we either see small towns as as dead and dying or idyllic where everybody's friends and everybody's happy and aren't we lucky to live in a small town where this is where the good people are and
1: or it's the twin peaks style thing where everything there's yeah. something weird going right. on about the town
2: <laughs> yeah. exactly or it's super weird and outsiders are not welcome and um right and you better watch your back right so it, it right. you kind of exactly. you kind of find that those two dynamics and what they've done here is they've kind of merge those two dynamics together in a lot of ways, right? They took the 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 kids are not just like welcomed back into into high school, right? They're the new kids and they get teased. Jonathan doesn't make the football team or or you know, doesn't make the starting lineup on the football team and all that type of thing, right? So they've added that that amount of realism. They've added the, in the fact that there's the town needs something to really get people working and good jobs with benefits and all those kinds of great things, which a lot of small towns really do struggle with and figuring out what is it that about our town that we can bring in. Now they happen to have this, this mind, right. That they can, that they can take advantage of. And that's a whole, you know, obviously that turns into a whole thing, but figuring out who you can trust in those situations, you know, certainly there's a lot of small towns that have been taken advantage of. So I really appreciate it again, that there's this level of realism that they were able to to place as a foundation and then layer it over with uh, with our superhero story that we love so much.
1: Absolutely. I think the and one of the things I liked about it is that it does actually feel like a small town. Right. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. I remember Smallville, the TV show, it kind of felt like it's sometimes you're watching like wait, is this really a small town? Because they seem to have a lot of like, you know, a lot of stuff that seems like it's, it's a little like a small city than a small town. (laughs) Um, And and yeah, it seems very much, it feels like a, exactly. It feels like a suburb. This does not feel like a small rural Kansas town, but this one, it does feel like a small town. I thought they did a really good job of, of handling that aspect of it. And I thought, They had kind of overdone at first the whole small town, big city rivalry thing. I thought, you know, they kind of pushed that a little bit heavy handedly with Kyle. But I I think ultimately it did end up working out in an interesting way. Um, Mm -hmm. And I do think that I remember one review I saw of like the first two episodes complaining, saying like the headline was like Superman battles corporate America. And it's as boring as it sounds I'm like. That's not boring. That's like one of the most interesting things about the show is he's not
0: mm-hmm. going
1: up exactly. against the typical supervillain. And this is the kind of stuff that Superman was actually created to fight if you go back to the original comics. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he was He was totally like a... a people talk about social justice warrior and all that crap these days. Superman was the original social justice warrior. hmm Yeah. I like it.
0: I like uh-huh. it a lot also it it brings me kind of to season two the same they they pull that same it worked to me in season one and so I guess when Lana is running for mayor against um the incumbent mayor uh George Dean or yeah I think that was his name you know bringing that small town vibe especially when you're when you're going to the big superhero plot overall of it is we're combining these these worlds are these worlds are in peril kind of thing with Bizarro. The fact that there's this, you know, they they continue the whole small town dynamic and the whole social dynamic. With Lana running for mayor and all of that political stuff that's happening, which mirrors a lot of political American stuff that's kind of going on right now as well. Um, One of the, and, and the oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: no, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say that you know, when you mentioned this combining with the superhero stuff, that also made me think of how the show does a really good job of taking this social issue that we deal with, so like like Jen was talking about the revitalization of the small town and then you have that you know corporate exploitation of these small towns and these and these resources and then you turn that into a supervillain plot with you know he's trying to mine this this kryptonite so he can bring back you know other kryptonians who are trapped in the phantom zone that was a really clever way uh, of doing that and then in sec- in season 2 you've got a similar idea where you know you have all these people struggling and they're very susceptible to a strong um, magnetic personality, a cult leader. So it's very mm-hmm. similar to what we see with like the QAnon stuff and all that. And then you bring it in, is like she's merging these two different worlds together. They, they did a good job of finding those social issues and combining it with the wacky superhero stuff. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I, I totally agree with that. Again, that's what makes the show, the rich show that it is, that's what makes it, you know, both bingeable and <laughs> I can be okay with two episodes, you know, tonight kind of show. And mm-hmm. why I wanted to stick around, to be honest, and, you know, this is maybe this is just my personal opinion, because I just kind of started watching season eight of The Flash only because I've I've been watching The Flash. It's not necessarily because I've got to watch The Flash, you know, um, I hear you.
2: when you're when you're that many, I, yeah. you're that many seasons yeah. in
0: yeah exactly exactly so I feel like this show maybe had a little bit of influence on season eight and they kind of they keep saying level up which is corny you know in the first couple of episodes <laughs> but they have a little more meat with that show there's there's a little bit more richness in that show and I think part of it is because you know we know that the Flash and Iris have some kids and the kids are somewhere and then we have you know all this other stuff going on and they're they're actually you know they're kind of trying to really develop these whole new characters for the fact that Cisco left you know all the other characters you know that they're that they were trying to kind of replace or or whatever whatever's going on with that but it feels like maybe they felt the pressure a little bit. And maybe this is just me personally kind of looking at it and being a comparison. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> but it feels like they're like a little bit, pre- they were like a little bit pressured to kind of... <laughs> kind of get a little more meat on that show to also add to that Superman and Lois just feels like even though it was introduced in the Arrowverse it was it is you know it's been in the crossovers and things like that and it's on the CW with all the other DC shows it's so not one of those shows you know
1: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I yeah. think yeah. Originally, they had intended for it to be part of that whole universe type of thing because they had actually originally planned to do a, a crossover with Batwoman actually, um, but uh, COVID restrictions uh, meant yeah. that they had to they had to cancel those plans. Yeah. And. And you see that too, like, you know, uh, John Diggle from Arrow, he pops up in, in both season one and season two. Exactly. But I think at some point between season one and season two, when all the, the shakeups were happening with Warner Brothers Discovery and with the other CW shows getting canceled left and right, I think at that point, they're just kind of like, you know what, maybe we should just make it its own thing. And I think that it's been a good decision. I think it's it's worked really well. Yeah,
0: I am have to agree with that that it has it's it's worked very well for them because i'm definitely going to keep watching as long as they keep bringing it like they're doing kind of with that let's talk a little bit about overall ratings of the show what we rated it and kind of why we're rating it that Perry and those of you out there who are new to the show, of course we are reader focused shows. So our, our ratings are actually from Goodreads, even though this is a TV show that we are rating. And so when we talk about Goodreads, we are talking about their rating system, which is a five-star rating system one star means we didn't like it two stars means it was okay three stars means we did like it four stars we really liked it and five stars it was amazing so Jen what do you think about when you're thinking about star ratings and overall and will you watch this again what are your Mm -hmm. thoughts
2: I'm gonna give it four stars. The reason I'm gonna give it four stars is that it is one of those shows that I thoroughly enjoy watching. like i like I've said uh, today, I really appreciate the maturity in the storytelling and um and the the twists and turns that they take us on. But it lost a star for me just because of the whole it's not one that I just jump up and down for. You know what I mean? i I don't find myself uh you know chatting with people and going oh my god you haven't watched you haven't you have to watch it you have to watch it watch it and tell me immediately so i try i'm I'm gonna reserve my five stars for for those kinds of shows and they do exist but (laughs) i have thoroughly enjoyed my watching of uh of superman and lois so
0: um, uh, Perry, what did you what do you think star rating-wise and overall impression? Can we go half stars as well on this or just yes. full stars? Yes, we do okay. all the time.
1: Okay, so I think I'll go. I'm actually gonna split it up into into both season one and season two. I'd give season one four and a half stars, and I think I'd give season two about four stars. And uh, the reason because of that is, you know, season two was great, but I do I did feel like they were kind of retreading some of the same plot elements just in a different way like the you know the oh we think it's one villain and then halfway into the season there's a twist and it's a different villain so I thought there was there was some of that kind of stuff which kind of felt like it was a little bit lazy in some ways so that's why I'd knock it down to four for for season two but season one definitely four and a half
0: okay I'll give you that one (laughs) For me, I am going to do, I'm going to do an opposite (laughs) and that's only because of the geek factor and I'm feeling really geeky right now. I'm giving it four stars for the first season and I'm giving it four and a half stars for the second season because of the whole Bizarro world and showing Bizarro and all of that. Not necessarily for... I don't know. I just I I don't like that whole the cult mentality and the whole, you know, weird belief kind of thing. I, I'm I'm not a fan of that. So the whole Allie plot and the whole plot with uh, Lois's sister, Lucy, is it? Um, yeah. You know, the whole plot of that being a cult, she's really preying on. The fact that Lucy is, you know, broken in some ways, that whole dynamic in general, not just with this, but in general, that whole dynamic just kind of rubs me the wrong way. So that that's why not five stars for me. I tend to five star a lot of stuff, but that's why not five star for me, because that but that that's a that's a personal thing. The reason why it gets the half star for season two is because of Bizarro, which is, Bizarro's not the villain, Ali is the villain. But um, it's because of the whole Bizarro and me being all geeky about that. I've said a few times on here, Perry, but even though I'm not a comic book reader, I recognize comics as canon. As soon as I see something that maybe not, the casual Superman person knows, or not necessarily Superman, but the casual superhero movie watcher would would pick up on. I, I immediately kind of want to learn a little bit more about it. So, of course, I started doing a little research, you know. <laughs> this is a whole Bizarro world. Oh my gosh, you know, so I find this article about, you know, Bizarro and the whole Bizarro world. And I'm like, I didn't really know that. I, you know, I knew that, you know, they talk backwards and, you know, you know Bizarro talked backwards and he was a bit of an idiot and all that kind of stuff. But that kind of gave me a little geek out factor. So that that's why the half star there. But yeah, I think I'm with both of you in that it's not five star, but it's really good. Yeah. (laughs) So I just want to say thank you to both of you for coming on and just talking Superman and Lois with me. Perry, before we go, because you are an author um, and because, you know, you have a lot of reader-focused things maybe going on. Tell me, do you have any new releases coming out or anything coming up that you want to want to talk about with our audience?
1: Absolutely. Well, first, again, just want to thank you for inviting me on. This is a, a real fun conversation. Uh, we didn't mention it also, but I just wanted to also quickly toss out, I love that... Uh, they show him in the old Max Flesher costume with the, the the red trunks and the the red and yellow and black symbol on it in the early episodes. Yes. So that was another and the whole like um, you know the kid says I like your costume. He's like thanks my mom made it for me. Just love that yes! kind of like that that stuff just it got me it 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 made me stand up and cheer. So I just wanted to toss that out as one final thing to that was to fantastic. to mention.
0: That was awesome. Yeah,
1: but um yeah my stuff. Uh, if you go to PercivalConstantine.com, that's my hub for everything. Uh, You can find all my books there. I'm currently working on the first book, what's going to be called the Mark of Cain series. It's an urban fantasy series. It's set in the same world as my Luther Cross and Morningstar novel series. So if you're interested in any of those, you can go check those out. Again, PercivalConstantine.com. Those are also all available on Kindle Unlimited if you're one of those subscribers. Uh, I got a bunch of other books out there. If you like superhero stuff, I've got the Vanguard superhero series that's five books long and it's complete. And I think the first book is available free on most of the ebook retailers. Also, if you like listening to talk discussion about superhero movies, superhero TV shows, you can listen to my podcast, superhero cinephiles.com is the website for that. Yvonne was on that one um, last year. Now, I think it's been a while. Um, And we talked about um, the idea of romance in superhero stories. And so that was a fun conversation we have. You got to go look that up. It was like around it was around episode 100, somewhere around there that we did that one. Um, But yeah, yeah, that's it for that's all my stuff.
0: And uh, we'll have links to all of Perry's stuff. <laughs> we'll have links to it in the show notes for this episode. So, so if you didn't catch those links, I will have links to that, including the link to um, that episode, Superheroes in Love. Um, so Jan, Perry, thank you very much for coming on and talking with me. Thank you so much for having
2: me, Yvonne. This was so much fun. Um, it's a great show, great discussion, Perry. It was great to meet you and get to nerd out with you, uh, this
0: was, this was awesome. So that's all for this episode. We've got a new website at nerdyromanticspodcast.com, but don't fear all of our episodes and their show notes are on our new website. While you're there, please consider donating to our podcast with the donate button at the top right-hand corner or the buy me a coffee button on the show notes for each episode. Your donations go straight to keeping this podcast on the air and keeping all of our episodes out there for you to listen to whenever you want to. If you want to get our show notes in your inbox, please consider signing up for our Nerdy Romantics newsletter. The sign-up form is at the bottom of each page on our new website. Thank you for listening. Stardate, Not Too Distant Future Brandon is a diehard Trekkie. He's watched every Star Trek franchise episode multiple times. He has several cosplay and collectible uniforms in his closet. Commander Will Riker is his favorite cosplay character. And he's been to dozens of conventions. But he's never met, or gotten in a fight with, another Trekkie like Phoenix. Phoenix is looking forward to her first Star Trek convention, until she meets Brandon. He's nothing like the Riker character she loves to hate. He's combative, socially awkward, and off-putting. But he's so adorable. Phoenix and Brandon keep running into each other, each time more heated than the next. With three days of convention to get through, will they get past the hostility and find what they know is their attraction? And perhaps love? This is the premise of Stardate, a free e-story for my newsletter subscribers, available on February 1st. If you like Trekkie romance, romantic comedy, or just like to see a little grumpy sunshine trope, this story is for you. Go to ymnelson.com backslash subscribe and get your free copy.